Okay, friends, it's time for the Bible reading. In the final words of the Old Testament, the people of God were instructed by Malachi to look forward to the day of the Lord, a day which will bring punishment and destruction for the wicked, but healing and rejoicing for the righteous. What a privilege it is to live this side of Jesus, knowing we have been made righteous through his sacrifice in our place and being assured of our fate on that final day of the Lord. The first reading tonight comes from Malachi 4. It is, in fact, all of Malachi 4, and that can be found on page 677 of the Pew Bibles. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day is coming will set them on fire says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. There will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. The second reading is from Romans chapter 15, verse 14 through to 33, found on page 805. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge and competent to instruct one another. I've written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with a priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there, 
for Macedonia and Achaia, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Good to see you. Haven't met. My name is Paul, and we've uh, come to our last sermon in the Book of Romans. Can you believe that? We started last August, I think it was, and we preached through Romans. We took a break for a couple of months, and now we're in our last sermon tonight. And I do hope through the preaching of Romans that you that you love Jesus better. That's my basic prayer: that you love the Lord Jesus Christ more because of your study of the Book of Romans. And tonight's sermon is called this. It's called The Heart of the Ordinary Christian. If I was to ask you, what is your heart like? If you love Jesus, what does your heart look like? I'll ask you a slightly different question. Who are the people in your lives who have shaped your Christian heart? Who are the people in your life who have encouraged you or taught you or admonished you or instructed you or rebuked you or cared for you? Who shaped your heart? If you ask me that question, there's so many people I could talk about. There'd be Christian authors who I've never met, but they've shaped my heart. Uh, There'd be men and women that you've never met, but they've shaped me. And there are people in this room tonight a lot of people in this room tonight who have shaped my Christian heart. We talk about three people. This man is called John Stott. He's an Englishman. He was converted as a teenager. He went to study at Cambridge and then became rector of All Souls Langham Place in London. But how has this man shaped my heart? Uh, the thing that strikes me about John Stott is, uh, is, is his humility. His humility. He's an extraordinary preacher, an extraordinary writer. He has written hundreds of books. He's been invited to speak at conferences all around the world. And yet when you meet this man, or when you met this man, he died last year, there's no boasting, no bragging, no self-promotion. He didn't put on Facebook how many sermons he's preached or how many books he's written. He's just this beautiful, humble man. The other thing about John Stott is that he actually helped me as a preacher through his writings, just teaching me how to preach through different books of the Bible. The thing about John Stott is that he gave me a heart for the, the developing world. You might not know this, but this man had such a heart for Africa. 
that he actually set up colleges and schools uh, for Christians in those countries, in the developing world, so that they could hear about Jesus and grow in their faith. This man shaped my heart. Here's another man. His name's Alistair. Married to the lovely Sheena. Got five kids. You probably never know this guy. He was my old boss, uh, the rector of the church I used to work at in Hampstead in London. I love this man because uh, he, he wasn't very organized, but he taught me how to love people. This man used to write letters to his congregation, the, the Ministry of Hospitality, uh, sitting by the bedside with people who were sick and suffering. He just loved people. Uh, this man also uh, taught me as a preacher how, how to preach, I guess, with integrity. So, you know, when Alistair preached, you really believed that he'd done the hard work of applying the scripture to himself. And this man also was an evangelist. Uh, he spent hours just talking to unbelievers, bu- building friendships and sharing his life with them just so he could talk about Jesus. Now, this man shaped my heart. The Apostle Paul. Whether you like it or not, he shaped all of our hearts by his life, by his teaching, by his doctrine. I'm guessing that all of us here tonight agree that in so many ways we are not like the Apostle Paul. I'm guessing that none of us here have had that Damascus Road encounter with the blazing risen Lord Jesus and been blinded by it. And I'm guessing that none of us here have been set apart to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And none of us here have been given the authority to write these apostolic writings that are binding. But in so many other ways, the heart of this man is the heart of every Christian man and woman. And that's why I've called this sermon the heart of the ordinary Christian. Not the the heart of the the super apostle, but the heart of the ordinary Christian. Because if you love Jesus, then your heart should be the same as the Apostle Paul's heart. So what was his heart like? Here's the first thing, a heart for humility. A heart for humility. What's striking is that the Apostle Paul planted more churches and saw more people converted than most of Sydney. And yet he doesn't brag, he doesn't boast. There's no self-promotion, there's no arrogance. Look at chapter 15, verse 17 with me. He says, therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus. Not, not in myself. I glory in my Savior. I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I won't venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. Don't you find that verse 18 quite extraordinary? Uh, What Christ has accomplished through me. See what he's saying? He's saying, it's not about me and my work. If Christ didn't work, then my work would have been useless. It's not Christ working and me working together. It's actually Christ at work, but choosing to use me as his channel, as his instrument. Christ at work through me. 
Imagine that uh, you're at a dinner party with the Apostle Paul. And he'd have some great stories to tell, wouldn't he? But I wonder how he'd have told them. Oh, there's this time when I was, I was in Philippi and, and I, I saw a thousand people converted that day. And, and I was in prison, and, but I was strong enough and I was trusting enough that I would be released and I would go to that city and conquer that city and, and build my churches. He wouldn't talk like that. He'd say, oh, my Lord Jesus Christ, he is so amazing. He, he grew his church through me. And I saw people converted through my ministry. Isn't that amazing that God would choose to use me to do his work? He's that kind of guy. No boasting, no bragging, but just boasting about Christ. Just a servant of Christ. And friends, I think we need to learn a lesson from that. A humility is a beautiful character trait, isn't it? But within each one of us in this building tonight, there is just that, that little seed called pride. And you know it's there, and I know it's there. It started when we were young, you know, when you won your first athletics race, or you got that, that certificate for ballet, whatever it was. But you felt very proud. My ability. My achievements. And we've got to get rid of that. In church, we shouldn't talk about my disciple and my convert and I brought them to faith. It should be Christ converted them and Christ discipled them and, and wow, that he would choose to use me, his humble servant. Remember the old hymn? Lord, make me a channel of your peace. Lord, you do the work, please, through me. Uh, that's the heart of the ordinary Christian. It's all about Christ, not about you. Here's a second one heart for the lost, a passion to see lost souls won for Christ. Sure, the Apostle Paul was very concerned that the people grow and mature in their faith. That's why he wrote all these letters. But at the heart of this man is a man committed to mission. You see, when you've met the risen Lord Jesus, when you've encountered Jesus, when you've had your life changed by Jesus... Surely your heart longs for other people to see and know Jesus. Verse 19 is kind of a summary verse of 10 years of ministry. Uh, He says, from Jerusalem all the way around, in an ark, from Jerusalem to Illyricum. That's 1,400 miles. And he walked most of it. He says, I I fully proclaimed. I fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ, the gospel of grace, the gospel of forgiveness. Here it is. I, it's always been my ambition, my heart's desire to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. He says, look, I, I could have gone to that city, but there's a church there already. They, they've heard the gospel. And I could have gone to that city, but there's a church there, and they've heard the gospel. And I want to go to the places where no one has preached the gospel. That's his heart, his ambition. His goal in life is to always reach the, the unreached with the gospel of Christ. That's why he, he quotes Isaiah 52 in verse 21. He says, those who were not told about him will see, 
and those who have not heard will understand, the lost will be found. The blind will have sight. That's my heart. You may have heard of a man called David Livingston, who was a, a missionary. When he went for the interview with his uh, mission organization, they said to him, where do you want to go? This is his response. He said, I don't care where you send me. Just send me somewhere where I can talk about Jesus and the lost can be found. Isn't that a great attitude? Just want to make sure that the lost people hear the gospel. Over the last few weeks, I've met with a, a lot of young church planters. I, I do some work for something called Geneva Push. I have to say that most young men I've met with to talk about church planting always want to have a, a large salary in a nice house in a comfortable part of Sydney. What about people who are willing to go to the tough places where there might be a different demographic where more lost people can be found? And what about you? If you've experienced the power of grace in your life, do you long for the lost to be found? Most of us here won't go to new unreached territories. But you've got lost people sitting right next to you at work day after day after day and lost people on your sports team and lost people in your unit blocks and lost people in your family. Is that your heart? Will they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's a third one. A heart for the needy, for the poor, for the marginalized. Look at verses 25 to 29. He says, I'm going to come to you as I go to Spain, but verse 25, now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. Why is he going there? In service of the saints, of the church, of the Christians there. Verse 26, for, for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution, a monetary contribution for the poor among the Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owed it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings by coming to faith, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Uh, the situation here is that in AD 46, uh, there was a famine in Jerusalem. And the Christians in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians, were literally starving to death. Do you remember those uh, videos we watched last year of the people starving in East Africa? Well, that's what it was like in Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul, he couldn't ignore that. And so it was the Apostle Paul who set up a kind of relief fund, an aid fund, to send money to those, those Christians in Jerusalem so they could have some food and some clothes and some water and some shelter. And the churches in Macedonia and Achaia and Corinth, they all gave generously. Because that's what Christians do, isn't it? That's what Christians do, isn't it? When you see... Other Christians in other parts of the world, and they have no food, they have no shelter, they have no water. We don't just sit here. We give. Because we have a heart for them. How can you watch somebody loved by God go without the basic necessities? Well, we sit here in luxury. Galatians 2 puts it well. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the needy. The very thing I was eager to do. I had a meeting with uh, Joe Hockey on Monday afternoon. 
to talk about the, he's a shadow treasurer, to talk about the road to 2015. Uh, 2015 is that by 2015, 1% of the gross national income will be spent on foreign aid to the developing world. Today we're at 0.3%. We're number 15 out of the top 23 developing worlds, developing countries. It's, just, it's disgraceful, isn't it? But it starts here in, in the church with the Christians. It's set the example to have a heart for the poor, a heart for the needy. That's what being a Christian is. One way that Rachel and I do that is through an organization called Compassion. You may have heard of them. They don't just sponsor children. Yes, we provide clothes and education and food, but it, they do that through the local church. And every day the kids go to the local church and they hear Bible stories and they read the Bible and learn English. We use Voice of the Martyrs, whatever it is, but, but your heart should be for those who have nothing. Here's number four. A heart for the saints, for the Christians, for the church. Because Paul loves God's church. Uh, right back in Romans 1 verse 11, he said, I long to see you so that you might be strong. And that's how he ends the letter in verse 23. He says, now there's no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Uh, that word for longing is that, that passionate desire. I'm desperate to see you face to face. And I hope you know that about the Apostle Paul. He wasn't just a, a theologian. He was a pastor. He loved people. I, I'm going to read chapter 16, the final chapter. It's such an unusual chapter. Just listen to how he, he describes other Christians. See his heart for the saints. 16 verse 1. I commend to you our sister, Phoebe. She's the la lady who brought the letter. She's called our sister, a servant of the church. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she's been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the church of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They're outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ Jesus before I was. Greet Ampletus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Statues. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of, of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Trophina and Trophosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, Another woman who worked very hard in the Lord, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegion, Hermenides, Petrobus, 
Hermas and the brothers with them greet Philodius, Julius, Nerisius and his sister and Olympus and all the saints with them greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Do you get the, the picture? This is a family. You've got men, you've got women, you've got Jews, you've got Greeks, you've got old, you've got young. This is diversity here. But, but this, the common thing is uh, greet each other, accept each other, literally love each other. There's no official staff teams. There's no mention of priests or deacons. It's, it's just Christians gathering together because they love Jesus and they love each other. And that's church, isn't it? That should be your heart. We belong to one another. Let's, let's greet one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's, let's carry one another's burdens. I think if I was writing to Church by the Bridge in 10 years' time, if I've moved on by then, greet Linda. She has such a heart for mission and for people. Greet Haley. What a great evangelist she is for our Lord Jesus Christ. Greet a noob. He's that humble servant who serves so tirelessly. Greet these people because they're part of this family. And we should love each other. The heart for prayer. This amazed me this week when I, when I saw this. It's extraordinary. The Apostle Paul, who is successful and competent and eloquent... And what does he ask the Roman Christians to do? At 15 verse 30. I, I, urge you, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, so a Trinitarian prayer, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle, my wrestle, my fight, by praying to God for me. Isn't that amazing? So the apostle asked ordinary Christian men and women to pray for him. I need you to pray for me, he's saying. I long for you to pray for me. In verse 31, pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers, protected from opposition. And pray, verse 21, that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable, the, the gift might be accepted by the church, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. Here's what I find amazing, that, that Paul is humble enough to ask other people to pray for him. Isn't that what, we, what you and I are doing? There's no facades, there's no pretense, there's no, I can do this by myself. But you actually say to somebody, I'd love you to pray for me, and here's how you can pray for me. The other extraordinary thing about this prayer is that God did answer this prayer, but God's will was not Paul's will. You know? Yes, he went to Jerusalem, but he was arrested there. He was beaten there. He was imprisoned there. And yes, he did get to Rome, but he came as a prisoner, and he was shipwrecked. And as far as we know, he never got to Spain. You see, when you ask someone to pray for you, you're not telling them the outcome that you are demanding. You're leaving that up to God. But that, that, that beauty of being a partner in prayer. 
heart for, just two more, heart for truth. This might surprise you after our sermon last week about agree to disagree on the disputable matters. What do you say in in 16 verse 17? I urge you brothers to, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them. Have nothing to do with them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. He's saying, be discerning what you listen to. Keep away from people who teach untruths. And that's something we need to hear. I don't know what books you're reading. I don't know who you're podcasting. I don't know what songs you're listening to. But please make sure that they are teaching you biblical truth. Ask the questions, does it agree with Scripture? Does it glorify Jesus? Does it promote goodness and godliness? And here's the last thing, a heart for God's glory. That's how Paul ends this letter, with this doxology or this hymn of praise. Remember Jude 24, now to him who is able to keep you from falling. Or Ephesians 3, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. It's the same wording here. Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able, to him who is all-powerful, to him who is capable of establishing you, making you secure and firm and rock-solid in your faith, to him who is able to establish you by my gospel, by my good news and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. It was hidden for long ago, but now it's been made known or revealed through Christ, through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all people, all nations might believe and obey him. Here it is, to the only wise God be glory forever, through Jesus Christ. He glories God for his, his power or his ability and his wisdom. And that's the God that you need to be bringing the glory to the powerful God and the wise God. Just think about that. If God was powerful, but not wise, if we had a powerful God who was very silly, then we should be really scared. But if God was wise, but not powerful, he's got all these great plans and ideas, but he can't actually implement them. But the fact that God is powerful and that God is wise means that he's the one that we trust. He knows what's best. He's able to implement it. And so we sit at his feet and we humble ourselves beneath him. We say, to the only wise God be glory forever and ever. That's the heart of the ordinary Christian. Humility. A heart for the lost, a heart for the needy, a heart for the church, a heart for prayer, a heart for truth and a heart for God's glory. And my prayer is that that might be your heart and my heart. Let me pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you now. We acknowledge that you are the only wise God and that all glory belongs to you. Spirit of God, we do ask you to change our hearts. to humble us, to give us a heart for the lost and the poor and the needy and for your church.
Lord, I ask that our hearts might reflect our, our Lord and our Saviour. I ask it for Jesus' sake.